Good morning. My name is Janice Lilly, and the scripture passage this morning is Exodus 14, verses 1 through chapter 15, verse 3. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Piharoth, between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal-Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, They are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people, and they said, What is this that we have done, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them encamped at the sea by Piharoth and in front of Baal-Zephon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watched the Lord in the pillar of fire, and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the hosts of Pharaoh had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. 
that the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. This is God's word. Well, I got a text from a friend um, who told me that if we ever wanted to do any sermons focused on a specific topic, um, he had some ideas. And one of the topics he listed was fear. And I said, okay, well, what, what do you mean by that? Tell me more. Because the sermon this week has a lot to do with fear. He said things like fear of being alone, fear of being judged, fear of being wrong, fear of missing out, fear of messing up, fear of disappointing others, fear of not meeting expectations. And when I saw that list, I thought we do have a lot to talk about when we talk about fear. We're not going to cover all of those in their specifics this morning. But when I thought about that text exchange and this passage and reflections upon it, it did make me realize that the wrong kinds of fears probably drive more of our actions than we would like to admit. But this passage has a lot to say about fear. The wrong kinds and the right kinds. And so let's pray, and we'll study it together. Lord, we need your help. We have in that old Bible expression, feet of clay. But Lord, I pray that our feet of clay would stand upon the rock that is the gospel. And you would cause our hearts to melt. Not because of the fear that's in front of us, but because of the love that we know in you in the gospel. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. In our first sermon in the book of Exodus, back in September, uh, I listed listed several fears I have, and most of them are quite silly. I'm afraid I'll accidentally eat something I'm allergic to, which will make me quite sick, um, which makes me quite terrified at restaurants because of all the cross-contamination, which I try to not let my face show when I'm eating with you. Um, I have a fear of heights. I'm afraid of flying insects. I once threw a book, hardback book, at a window to kill a wasp. Um, I did not kill the wasp, but I did break the window. There are other fears, though, more serious ones I, I usually don't share with you. One of the ways God keeps me humble and keeps me clinging to Him 
is how I still struggle in hard conflict situations, which, believe it or not, tend to happen in the church from time to time. What is it that makes you afraid? Some of us fear we won't get the raise we think we deserve, so we kind of clamor for attention, and we make sure everybody knows our achievements are as good as they really are and better than our coworkers. Some of us fear that if we rest, if we take a Sabbath, well, then we won't achieve, we won't get a f- far enough ahead. Others will pass us by. We fear that if we forgive someone who's wronged us, if that is, if we let God be the one who, who judges ultimately, then, well, then that person's not going to get what they deserve. We fear for our children, grandchildren, how they're raised, how they'll turn out, what will the world be like for them. At school, some of you fear standing up for what you know is right because you know of how that's going to come across and how you'll stand out from the crowd and the friends you'll lose. We fear a marriage might blow apart or a marriage might never happen. We fear different forms of sickness. We fear being alone. We fear life won't matter. So we keep just searching for the next form of epic. Epic career, epic vacation, epic location, epic relationship, epic church. We fear missing out as though if we truly committed to being in one place at one time, then we fear somewhere out there something better is happening than the What's happening right here? A friend of mine said once that when we see some great sin taking place, probably behind that, there's great fear. I tend to think that's true. As I said, if we're honest and we think about all the wrong fears, they tend to drive our actions probably more than we'd like to admit. The euphoria that the Israelites had when they left Egypt right after the Passover didn't last long. At the end of last week's passage, Israel was like this balloon. They'd been filled with hope and prosperity and security. In fact, prosperity of which they could have never dreamt. When God first promise to Moses, so this is, this is back in chapter 4, before the Exodus, before the plagues, before all of that, right after the burning bush, when God first promises to Moses that he's going to lead his people out of Egypt, listen to what God says, Exodus four twenty one and I think 22. God says, I will give you favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and when you go, you will go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor, presumably Egyptian neighbor, and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold and for clothing, and you shall put them on your sons and your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. God promised to so free Israel and so crush Egypt that their women had only to ask and they would receive the back wages their men could have never demanded from Egypt. And God did it. The balloon, again, it was filled with hope and security and prosperity. 
And not only that, but we read that the start of our passage, which wasn't actually, like, it's a bigger passage than we just read. It starts in three, uh, 13, 17. We read in that portion in chapter 13. If you have a Bible, you can just see it, but I won't go take the time to read it. But you see that God comes alongside his people with the power of his presence in a pillar of cloud and fire to protect them on their way. What could go wrong? What could there be to fear? And then we come to Exodus 14. Just just imagine if a thousand ISIS soldiers surrounded our church while we're here worshiping. They're armed. They want to kill us. I'm sure we have some animal crackers, some goldfish. We could outlast a siege for a little while, right? But we wouldn't last too long, and neither would Israel surrounded by Pharaoh. This balloon of hope that was Israel had popped. I'll read again verses 8 through 12. So if you have a Bible, just leave Exodus 14 and then later 15 open. I'll read verses 8 through 12 again. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. Some translations say boldly. The Egyptians pursued after them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them in camp by the sea. Continuing, when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they, that is the Israelites, feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Isn't this not what we told you, said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than die in the wilderness. Imagine how afraid you'd be. Fathers. You stand there looking off in the distance and and, and you see the soldiers and you hear the rumble of the chariots. You bend over, you pick up a rock, you tell your family, okay, get behind me or hide or run. There's not a whole lot to do. Adrenaline and cortisol, they're, they're rushing through your body. Should you flight or fly away? We can't fight because it's Egypt and Egypt has drones and tanks and stealth bombers and weapons of mass destruction. We can't fly away. Because we're pinched between a rock and a wet place, between the desert and the sea. From our vantage point, we might say their statement about it being better to be slaves in Egypt than die in the wilderness, it feels melodramatic. We might say that. I'm not so sure. If we would fault them, it's not so much for their logic, it would have been better to have been a slave in Egypt and die in the wilderness, probably. We might fault them for taking their eyes off of God. The God who had done ten plagues to ruin Egypt and save Israel, we might fault them for misplaced fear. Too much of the wrong kind of fear and too little of the right kind. We might fault them for being a lot like us. What does Moses tell them to do, to flight or fly? He, he, he tells them neither. He tells them faith must replace their fear. Look with me at verses 
13 and 14 of chapter 14 in Exodus. Some of what I will say, the most precious and spectacular verses in all of Exodus. And it's tough competition. Like someday that would be a fun bracket. We'll make a bracket of our favorite verses in Exodus. I'm going to put verses 13 and 14 of chapter 14 in the running. Moses said to the people, Fear not. Stand firm. So hard. So hard. You want to do something. Okay, I want to do something. I want to run away. I want to fight. I want to do something. Fear not. Stand. Stand firm. And see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be what? Silent. When God says, let there be light, there's light. When God says, let my people go, they go. The Lord fights for his people. He blows back the waters into a wall and they walk on dry ground. The the, the Egyptians, they should have looked at that pillar of fire, the walls of water and said, nope, (laughs) we're wrong. Let's go home. This Yahweh ain't messing around. But with hard hearts, they charge headstrong into death. And speaking of hard hearts, over the course of Exodus 14, excuse me, 4, 5, 6, 7, all the way through 14, there are 19 verses that speak to the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. And they're in a couple categories. Some of the verses speak of the promise of God in the future to harden Pharaoh's heart. I will harden Pharaoh's heart. 421, 7-3, or 14-4. Other verses say that God hardened the heart of Pharaoh directly. 912, 10-1, 10-20, 10-27, 11-10, 14-8. Other verses say that Pharaoh's heart was hardened in what English types would call a passive verb construction. It, it was hardened. Who hardened it? Did Pharaoh harden it? Did, did he harden himself? Did God harden it? We don't know. It just says God, his heart was hardened. 713, 714, 722, 819, 9, 7, 935, 14, 5. And some verses say that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Pharaoh Hardened his own heart. 815, 832, 934. The takeaway, and I haven't said much about this so far as we've been preaching through it, but I'll say it now. The takeaway is that two things are true at once. God claims responsibility, credit, yet also holds Pharaoh responsible. Both are true. Both are true. If you have a lump of clay and a lump of chocolate, and you place them in the summer sun, one of those lumps is going to harden. And one of those lumps is going to melt. And the closer Pharaoh comes to the light and the heat of God's salvation, the more he hardens. And he's not alone. There are people who on their deathbed still don't want God on his terms. The terms of surrender. 
But those who still do not want God on God's terms fail to realize they will still meet God. They just meet Him as judge, not friend. You don't want to meet God as judge. And you don't have to. You don't have to. As you read Exodus carefully, you see that while God told Moses, so, so God told Moses that Pharaoh's heart would be hardened and Pharaoh would not repent. That's not what God told Pharaoh. God still had Moses invite Pharaoh over and over and over again to change his ways. That's what Christians do. We are invitational on God's behalf. As long as someone lives, we invite them to know Jesus. I invite you to know Jesus. Only God decides when to stop extending his invitation. And that's what God eventually did. The passage says the wheels of the Egyptian chariots, they got stuck. The tank treads, they couldn't make it through the sea. Perhaps in these walls of water, water began to seep out from the bottoms until eventually then the whole wall of water comes crashing down. Look at how Exodus 14 ends, verse 30 and 31. Thus, says, or thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw that the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people, what? The people feared the Lord. They believed in the Lord. And in his servant Moses... What whiplash in this chapter? From feared greatly, verse 10, to the instruction, do not fear, verse 13, to fear of the Lord, verse 31. From fear to no fear to more fear. What whiplash? Think how destabilizing this would have been. Or maybe we should say, not destabilizing, but stabilizing. While Israel knew something of their weakness, they now know more of their God who became their mighty fortress in ways they never could have imagined. When the passage says that Israel feared the Lord, it means that they had reverence and awe and wonder at the power and the presence of their Lord. And the Bible calls this reverence the fear of the Lord, which the Bible says is a good thing. Now we might use a different phrase, we might want to describe it differently because of the connotations we have with the word fear. But genuine faith in the Lord should be coupled with a right fear of the Lord. That's why verse 31 links together faith and fear. Quote, so the people feared the Lord and they believed the Lord. They go together. And this pattern of wrongly placed fear, followed by the instruction not to fear, followed by a salvation event of the Lord that results in the fear of the Lord, this pattern is a common pattern in the Bible. I just want to give you one example. In the Gospels, this 
will be familiar perhaps to many of you. They're on a boat in the Sea of Galilee, the disciples, and the storm blows in. Strong storm. I take it to be an exceedingly strong storm because the professional fishermen who I trust were accustomed to these sorts of things, like just think flight attendants is more a context I might understand of like, okay, that, oh, that felt turbulent to me, right? But then if you see the flight attendant like buckle up and like start to like panic, like you're like, okay, this is real. This is real. They wake Jesus up from his nap because they're afraid. They say, why are you taking a nap, essentially? Aren't you afraid too? He says, why are you afraid? And he speaks a word and the wind and the sea, they go calm in an instant. And then the passage says they're more afraid. Mark 4, 41, quote, And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? The wrong kind of fear driven out by the right kind of fear. And I imagine the Israelites looked back over the Red Sea and said something similar. Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? God caused their hearts to melt. That's the miracle. Lumps of clay turn to chocolate and they melt in the sunlight of God's heat and light and salvation. Has God done that in your heart? In this passage, the hearts that melt also sing. When the Lord drowns the wrong kinds of fears in the sea and those fears are replaced with the right kind of fear in God, a fear and reverence and awe of the Lord. People want to sing. That's what happens in chapter 15. In chapter 15, the redeemed of the Lord sing so. And I love so many lines from this song. I would love to just read the whole song through chapter 15 and just preach and talk about every single line. I'm not going to do that. But let me reread just verses 1 through 3. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. You see how it begins? The song begins by saying that the Lord has become your strength and what? Your song. He's not only creator, savior, he's song. Think about what that implies to call God your song. As our hearts soften, God becomes the melody that quickens our steps. He becomes the anthem that drives out all our fears. And notice how Godward the psalm is. Every bar is about God. For he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider, he has thrown into the sea. 
Continuing, the Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Continuing, your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury and it consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up and so on. Godward from first bar to last. And in this way, Exodus 15 is so much different than Hannah Kerr's song, Warrior. If you ever listen to Christian music on the radio, you've heard this song. It's been very popular for the last four years. And I will say, um, I have no joy in picking on Christian music. Which is why in seven years of preaching, I've done it only slightly once. And the one time I did it, I said I still liked the song. I just didn't think it was good for singing at church. But as I've listened to the song Warrior over and over again, I'm not sure, except by the slimmest definitions, in what sense we'd call it a Christian song. It goes like this. I will keep the hope alive. I will find the strength inside. I will keep hope alive. I am a warrior. I will survive. You'll never stop me. I'm a warrior. When I fall down, I get stronger. Faith is my shield. Your love is the armor. Maybe a veiled nod towards Godwardness. I am a warrior. I am a warrior. I am a warrior. Jesus, make me a warrior. Maybe now a whisper of Godwardness there at the end. And I don't want to take anything away from those of you who might love that song. In the comments section under one version of the song that's on there on YouTube, a woman named Marjorie spoke of how the song carried her through her battle with cancer. I bet it did. I bet it can. And certainly if the only two choices are either being a warrior or a doormat, either falling down and getting back up or falling down and staying down, then I want to be a warrior. I want to fall down and I want to get back up. Certainly. But if your primary anthem is, I'm a warrior, then you have another gospel. Not the gospel of Exodus 15, where God becomes for you your warrior, As Pastor David said last week, Exodus gives us something better than an underdog story. The gospel according to Exodus is a redemption story, which is why we sing, verse 13, you have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. I think again about that list of fears my friend texted me, the fear of being alone, fear of being judged, being wrong, missing out, messing up. Disappointing others, not meeting expectations. Perhaps surprisingly to you, the Bible dignifies these fears as real. They are no figment, as we might say, of our imaginations. The fears are as real as the gods of the Egyptians are real. And of course, these fears, rightly understood, are conquered in the presence of the Lord. Just as the gods of the Egyptians were conquered by the Lord. The biblical authors who come after Exodus consistently encourage you and I to look at the crossing of the Red Sea, which happened in the past to draw 
comfort for the present. I won't read them here. There are half a dozen in the Psalms and the book of Isaiah and other places. They say to us, look what God can do. Just as I would say to you, look not only to the Exodus, but to the cross of Jesus Christ. On the cross, Jesus died absorbing all the wrath of God. He was punished as though he were a Pharaoh. And if Jesus died for you and your sins, if Jesus under the weight of the wall of God's wrath, crashed down upon him, then you have nothing to fear. As Moses told them, so I say to you, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of Jesus, which he has worked for you and will work for you when he comes again. You have nothing to fear, except we do. The right kind of fear to drown all our wrong kinds of fear. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would do just that. That you, through your word and the singing, of song and the gathering of your people and the prayers and the encouragement that as it were you would pour concrete and rebar into our faith and it would set. And you would send us out of here with the joy of the gospel, the joy of forgiveness, the joy of fears put away And bones that didn't seem like they could live alive. We pray this in Christ's name.